How's your dunkle? It's nice. Enjoying the dunkle. Are you just like saying that a dunkle kind of day? That's your, dunkle kind of day. That's your favorite line. I'm not allowed saying that. Okay, welcome to the Pints and Pews podcast. We're just a couple of guys talking the Catholic faith over a pint or two of our favorite beer. So why don't you pour yourself a pint, pull up a chair, and listen in for the next 45 minutes to an hour. While we take the faith seriously, but not necessarily ourselves. And as always, if you want to take part in the conversation, please leave us a comment or swing by Facebook page and drop us a message. Dennis, buddy, how you doing? Good, good, Robert. Another wet, wet day, a wet, very rainy day today, but looks like it's clearing up a little bit. Great conversation with uh, Father Matt last week, and I think we got another a few, few things to talk about this week as well. I think another good show on tap, if you pardon the pun, for this week on the Pints Infused podcast. But I'm going to start to to wonder if people want us to stop recording these in the summer. Because like you say, it's a, a cool and rainy day out there. And that seems to have been the norm this summer. Whenever we've sat down to record one of these, it's been a dunkel kind of day. It's just been cold, wet, and rainy. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it, it definitely is all of those things today. Yeah, and, and I'm beginning to wonder if it's our fault, if it has something to do with us uh, wanting to record. I, have to, I wonder if it's my own fault. Uh, as we were saying off air, just before we got started, I had lined up for the summer a whole bunch of different IPAs because in the summer months when it's hot and humid out, I like a nice, cold, crisp IPA. And as we've been recording the last few weeks, it has not been IPA kind of weather. And no, I had Well, a- it was IPA weather. You're giving those IPAs way too much credit, I, I personally think. There's more out there in the beer world, as you're, we're going to find out very shortly, than the IPAs. Too bittery, too hoppy. Yeah, they're nice on one sunny day, but yeah, I can't do those. Uh, I can't do those IPAs. We had a really hot one a couple of days ago, didn't we? We were stifling, and it's gone down cold again today. Like you say, low teen Celsius, rainy, overcast. Yeah, so it's um, it's just a, a dunkel kind of day. So I did have, again, an IPA, 7.5% or so lined up for today. And it's just, I was looking out the window, it's like, I can't do that. I can't do that. So today I'm going back to one of my favorites, the, the Old Flame Brunette, Munich-style Dunkel Lager. Which I've actually had one in the fridge as well, so I'm joining you on the same. I think that's the first time that's ever happened. I think that's the first time it's happened on the show. We should record that. We, we, well, we'll, we'll have to make a point of, of that, that. That's the. the I think what time. we should do is we should say the prayer right at the beginning before the intros, and then that way we're ready to drink immediately. Okay. Well, do you have your beer open so that we can pray? I over? do. Didn't you hear the crack? I cracked it open a little while ago. Like always, I was too busy talking that I didn't hear anything else that was going on. And it's poured. So I'm ready for the prayer. And here we go. And I saw that poor buddy. That was atrocious. No, it's, it'll be fine. By the time you get through the prayer, it'll be just perfect. No wonder you want grace for, before beer so that the, your poor can settle a little bit. Okay, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Bless, O Lord, this creature beer, which thou hast deigned to produce from the fat of grain, 
that it may be a salutary remedy to the human race and grant through the invocation of thy holy name that whoever shall drink it may gain health in body and peace in soul. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. That was nice that Father read the prayer last week. That was kind of nice. I couldn't in good conscience say a beer blessing when there was a priest with us. Mm -hmm. I think there's just sometimes you have to defer that sacred authority into the hands of the, the duly ordained minister. Absolutely. And just remind me, cause it was such a long time ago. Was he six days? Was he aware that there was a beer prayer? He was aware of, I don't think he knew that particular one, but he was aware that there was a, a grace before beer. Correct. I, he was aware that there was a blessing for beers. Mm -hmm. Uh, he didn't know that particular one and he didn't have his book of blessings open in front of him right? as well too. Uh, asking him to do that. I was kind enough to send it along to him a couple of days ahead of time for him to, to check mm -hmm. out. And, ha and, and he had an old Guinness going there last week too, which was always, this is kind of a Guinness kind of day too, isn't it? I, I was just going to say this is yeah. a Guinness kind of day because we've yeah. got the yeah. Irish sunshine. Right. right That's right. Yeah. Very Irish day today. So nice cheers, buddy. To keep you warm. Cheers. One of these days we'll have to be able to sit down and, and do this together. And I was exactly. thinking about that, that you know, would be nice to sit down together and do one of these. But then my head started going to all of the tech issues that that would involve and getting. And you know what? I think one time I'm actually going to go in the closet because I heard that's like the best now, I, you know much more about this than I do, Robert, but I heard if you do podcasts or if you're trying to do some sort of audio in the closet is the bet that supposedly the clothes absorb sound. Is that right? Or am I? I, I was going to yeah. say it's because the, the clothes are absorbing the sound. So you're getting the, the truest sound. Okay. Uh, out of all of that. I usually have a few blankets hung up around the room down here, uh, kind of like a little home studio. Uh, but in the first week of summer vacation and cleaning up the house and, and taking care of things and tidying things, they've all disappeared. So if it sounds like I'm inside a tin can this morning, it's because I'm in the basement with the low ceilings and the sound is bouncing off of everything. So I, I actually that's, that'll be one of our goals that we actually record a podcast one, at least this summer together in the same room. There you go. God willing. Plus I think you have some of my beer at your place. Do you not? So I, have I, I do have that. some of your beer. Uh, here at my place and I'm holding it ransom you're going to have to drive up here to, to come and get it and we okay, so what do we have going on today Robert so we have a couple of things the other reasons oh. too I was thinking about having the Dunkel today is that my very first experience with with Dunkel was back in Bavaria at the the cluster index at the index abbey and so just thinking about having the, the Dunkel got me thinking about monastic beers. And I came across earlier today, this great little list uh, put out by R. Jared Stout, uh, who published the book, who wrote the book, The Beer Option, where we get our grace before beer from. It's from the prayer is from the book of Roman rites. It's from the, from the blessings, the book of blessings that priests would have. But I first came across it in the beer option. Uh, written by R. Jared Stout. And he's put together this great little article. It's a, a list of monastic beers from around the world. P. 
beautiful photo at the at the top there of all the different beers from around the world. Those, those aren't from around the world. I'm taking a look at those. Uh, oh no, they are from around the world. Because most, most of those French. are Belgian. Belgian, okay. Most of those are Belgian, but I did see that the Spencer in the middle is from the United States. Okay. Um, and La Trappe, which I did think was from Belgium, I, I've learned from this website, is actually in, in Holland. Oh. But a, a great little list, and I would sent it to you earlier today. And I also posted that up on the, the Facebook page. So for anyone that's you know, looking to, to branch out, looking to try something a little bit different, there's this great list of monastic beers from around the world and you know what and we looked at the ones that we didn't see any in canada we looked at a few from the states a little far we were hoping something from new york state we could just hop across the border but i guess indiana or massachusetts is probably the closer to the border just across the just across the bridge from buffalo right that would probably be the closest one there i don't see the indiana would you're looking at probably a 12 to 14 hour drive yeah, Massachusetts probably what the same about the, about the same out on, out on the east coast. In all honesty, yeah, I was disappointed that there was nothing listed from Canada on there, and I was disappointed that the Trappist, I believe, in Genesee, New York, don't they make bread? They should be making with a name like Genesee. You think they would be making beer? Yeah, it's yeah. too far to start making beer. <laughs> you know, if you're doing the whole bread thing, can't be that far off to be making beer. I that would be nice I, and close. That's only a couple hours over the border. I think what the whole bread thing is, if you just put enough liquid into it and you don't throw it in the oven to bake it, I think you have your beer right there, don't you? <laughs> we should put that on their Facebook page. There we go. We'll, we'll, we'll put in that request to the, the monks at, at Genesee. But again, great little list. And from the States, I don't know if they'd be able to put that in a courier box and send it. Mm. One, one would think so because like you mentioned earlier i do have some of your beer uh, here at my place because we put in a, a joint order to the vimy brewing company out of ottawa ontario uh, taking advantage they had free shipping going on up until canada day uh, and that came through a courier and all boxed up nice and neatly in, okay. in, in a nice. nice box that was made for the the beer's to keep them all separate and to keep them from jostling around in transit. So I was actually quite impressed by the, the packaging that they put in. That's a great idea. But the problem with us, if we get it sent from the States, it's going to have that duty tax. What we need is an address in Buffalo that we could pick it up in and just drive over the border. But anyhow, it's exactly. probably not going to happen. So, so we'll, and we'll get so, it at the local liquor store. Or maybe we'll find it there. And so there were, were a, a number of different abbeys from around the world on this list. One of my favorites, and I mentioned it, like I said, my first experience with the Dunkel is the, at the Cluster Andex uh, in Bavaria. So it's just southwest of Munich uh, in the, the five C or the five, the five C, the five lake district, uh, southwest of Munich. Uh, I had to think about that because when I'm thinking about geography in Europe, I always get confused because the Atlantic coast is on the West coast, where for us, the Atlantic is always on the East coast. Right. Right. And, and, and I guess you have to explain as well to Bavaria being the Southern part of Germany, the mostly Catholic area, I believe, uh, Robert of, of Germany. Exactly. Oh, you're right on both counts. It's the very Southern state of Germany. Uh, and also the most Catholic it was the, the area of Germany that remained Catholic through the whole Protestant Reformation. Reformation, yeah. Uh, absolutely gorgeous area, uh, especially with the Alps in the southern part of Bavaria. Mm. 
where cluster index is, is not quite that far south. But if you're looking south from the Abbey, you have this beautiful vista of the mountain range. I would imagine all these old abbeys have beautiful vistas, including the one in the photo there at Veltenberg Abbey. Did you go to that one as well? I've never visited Veltenberg Abbey. Of the list out of Germany, I'm, I'm looking at that. The only other one that's on that list that I went to was Kloster uh, Etal, the Etal uh, Abbey near Oberammergau. Uh, so it's right in the middle of the Alps. Uh, and Oberammergau is known for their passion play that they put on every, every 10 years. I've heard of that. Right. And it's a, a great uh, pilgrimage event to get to. Again, I've never been to the, the passion play that they do there, right. um, but I think a beautiful corner of the world. Do you not need tickets for that Robert? I believe more than likely. Yeah. Because I think that's, that's quite event. the, that sells out quite quickly. I think that's very difficult to get. Now I'm I, looking I, I at the other one that Marianne Stoddard, the, the Cistercian monks. I'm wondering if you get um, some Christmas cake with that. I wonder if they throw in a free pound of that Christmas cake. <laughs> That's all I can. Whenever I think of the Cistercians, I always think of that Christmas cake. And I just, I don't think I've ever eaten a full slice in my entire life. Maybe pieces or something, but I don't know how that thing keeps selling every year. I know they tried that at our church sometimes and it used to sell quite well, but not a big, uh, what are the other names for Christmas cake and the, the fruit fruit cake. And fruit I remember cake. Yeah. I remember selling those at the back of the church uh, for the Knights of Columbus. Yeah, how did they sell? So and they oh they we were taking pre-orders like they, they sold like you wouldn't believe, and it was absolutely hilarious because I'm standing at the back of the table of all of these Christmas cakes, and this little old church lady comes up says she orders like three or four of them, right? And uh, you can picture in your mind just the typical little old church lady the 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 gray blue hair spectacles um, purse over her arm that's that's kind of clutched up and she kind of called me in close and she's like you know the best way to eat these christmas cakes she says you take it out of the tin you unwrap the plastic you poke holes with your finger all through it and then you take like half a bottle of rum and you just fill all of the holes and soak it. And then you mm. put the lid back on the tin and you leave it for a week. And then it's the most moist cake you'll ever eat. Oh, right. that's really interesting. And, and internally, I'm just killing myself laughing because yeah. the last person that you're expecting to tell you to lace your Christmas cake with rum is the little, <laughs> little old Who gives the best piece of advice. And there's another thing. Whenever you put the, I know, I know a lot of them do have rum in them. They're probably most of them. But it just, I don't know, my alcohol, my, I, I like my alcohol on the side, not in my dessert. Just not a big fan of that rum balls or anything like that. Don't like that. It, it has to be done right because if right. you put too and much. You know, you know what? And this lady probably has the perfect remedy. Like it probably, it's probably perfect way to go with this. But yeah, it's probably really moist as well. Like she said. Now at the next church bake sale, I was definitely visiting her table. I can tell you that, <laughs> right? <laughs> But I wanted to share a, a little story about Cluster Index, about Abbey Index. So that was in the area where I lived for six months, just outside of Munich. And I could ride my bike to, to that Abbey. But more often than not, we would take the, the commuter train. It was one or two stops over. And then from the train station, and this is part of the visit to the Abbey, is you're, you're supposed to take the S5 from Munich to Hersching. 
and you get off. And part of the trip of going to the Abbey, part of the experience is to walk from the train station, which is kind of down in the valley beside the lake, mm-hmm. up through the hills, up to the Abbey. And they, you know, the Abbey itself says it's, they call it the uh, Heiligebeck. It's the, the holy mountain. It, it's not a mountain. It's a, it's a big hill. It's not a mountain. Right. And you can see the mountains from there, but that's probably well, maybe it's a mountain in, in our type of lexicon, but maybe in Europe, it's just a little hill. Pretty much, pretty much. And so my parents had come to visit me while I was there. And I said, okay, we have to go on this pilgrimage and we're going to walk up to the Abbey and they've got this fantastic beer garden. As for my parents, that was, uh, that was the draw that there was, there's a beer at the end of it. And you know how you put the carrot in front of the donkey? Mm-hmm. Well, with my parents, the whole time in Germany, we just put the beer glass and kind of hung it in front of them. And they would just follow the, the, the beer glass around. All the beer glasses, yeah. And I said, okay, we're, we're going to go for a walk. But at the end of the walk, we're going to be at the beer garden. And so we're walking through the forest up the side of this uh, mountain or, or, or big hill. And you know, my parents, again, being north americans if you're not being dropped off by the car at the door they really don't want anything to do with it so going for this walk in in the mountains and going uphill really wasn't their thing but they were game because it's part of the experience to go get this beer so we're halfway up the hill and coming the other way were folks that had gone on pilgrimage to the abbey so it was a a catholic youth group that was coming back the other way and there was maybe 30 or 40 people i would say ranging in age from 20 to 35 someone had a big cross at the front and they were praying the rosary and so as they walked past us praying the rosary my dad turns to me and he just looks at me and he's got this look on his face he's like don't tell me we're going to where they're coming from it didn't look like they're coming from no beer garden. I didn't look like they're coming from beer garden. Like that, that relax, relax. And so as you get to the top of the hill and you can see that the Abbey and its church in, in your sight, on the other side, there's kind of like a, a cliff that falls down from the path. And along the path, there's all of these warning signs, you know, be careful. You know, up until this day, 12 people have fallen to their deaths off the path. And they have the sign up is because people go up to the Abbey on pilgrimage, they'll visit the church, and then they'll visit the beer garden and Mm. have, and there they serve it by the leader. So they'll have two or three liters of beer. And as they're trying to make their way back to the train station, they go off the side of the cliff. Wow. And for our listeners, of course, two or three liters, like two pints of, of beer. So those are big glasses. Yeah. So you're having four, six pints. And then you're trying to walk your, your way back down the mountain through, through the forest. Surprised they don't have a, like the guardrails up and stuff like that at the sides as you're going down, at least as you're going down. One would think, but this is in Europe, they don't have guardrails on anything. Yeah, true. So we get up to the Abbey and you can see there's a big sign, you know, church to the left, beer garden to the right. And then the look of disappointment on my parents' face when we said, well, let's go visit the church first. Yeah. And they're like, no, beer garden. But we eventually did get them into the beer garden and they're sitting there, you know, all happy with their, their Stein, with their, their leader of, of beer. And again, being North Americans, they had the Hellas, they had the light colored beer. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I had then by then gotten accustomed to the Dunkel. So I always had the Dunkel, the, the dark beer. I was, it has more flavor to it. 
and they're all pleased as punch. They've got their beer and they've got their pretzel. And then my dad's looking out across the beer garden courtyard and across the town of Andex, the village of Andex. And then his face just drops. Dad, what is it? And he looks at me and he looks back out over the village and he looks back at me and then he just points out to the village. And he points about three or four houses past the abbey walls. And he's like, is that our BNB right there? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, you mean you made us walk for an hour and a half and visit a church where I'm staying right over there? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I ended up having to buy the beer that day. He wasn't very happy, was he? He, he was not impressed at all. Oh my God. What an experience though. That sounds like a really good, uh, that's certainly something I need to do is get out to one of these, but look at them all. They're all over Europe too, aren't they? They're all, they're all over Europe. I mean, you're looking at, I mean, there's a Czech there's Republic, a, Italy, a beer tour right there, right? All the different. Hey, here's one I would love to go to in, in Italy. And I've heard about this and I'm not sure if you can, can get it shipped over here, but the beer on Nursia. So from the, the monks at Nursia. Yeah. Right. And they, I think they started brewing the beer and selling the beer as a way to help fund um, rebuilding the monastery after the earthquake hmm. uh, a few years ago. It's only recent, 20, 20 years old, eh? Yeah, so that would that would be a cool. I'm saying, yeah, they sell their beer online to help them rebuild the monastery. So we'll have to, to look and possibly maybe getting some of that in. Uh, Holland, Austria, uh, France. Now you were saying you were surprised that France didn't have more that there was only yeah. only the two, two and two in Eng- uh, Italy as well too which I'm surprised you know maybe it, more it, a winery like would they have wine mm-hmm. at a lot of these places would they make a whiskey in some places like I don't know Scotland or well, I, 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 I know in I know in France yes further south would be wine so the the beer monasteries are in the the north part of France along okay. the border with Belgium right further south would be wine in the mountain regions, it was uh, liqueurs. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so like her- herbal remedies, like the, the, the herb uh, liqueurs was what we would have in France. And there's a couple here from Poland. We're not going to go down that road of trying to pronounce those this week, are we? No, we're not going to do that. We, we've already had enough problems with, with our Polish uh, uh, pronunciation. So our, our apologies to uh, all of our Polish listeners out there. And then what really struck me about this list is there's actually two different lists for Belgium. So every other country has its own list and we'll have, you know, maybe half a dozen entries where Belgium has two lists. It has the the Trappist beers. And I'm looking on the Trappist beers. There's a number there that I've had before and that are readily available uh, here in our area of the world for the LCBO, like the the Rochefort, uh, the Westmal and the Chimay. I, I've all had those and they're all excellent beers, especially for a rainy day like today. And that's typical in Belgium too, is that rainy weather. It's very much like, like England. And then the Abbey beers. And again, a, a few of those uh, are also readily available. Yeah, on the left. You uh, like that one. The left, the Affligum. Uh, Grimbergen. We were talking about Grimbergen uh, a few episodes ago that they're starting to brew beer at the Abbey once again. But I was kind of a little bit confused. It's like, what's the difference between a Trappist beer and an Abbey beer? So, you know, thanks be to Google, we were able to figure this out. 
uh, and that the Trappist beers are also Abbey beers, but the Trappist beers are still the ones being brewed by the Trappist monks themselves. Right. And probably on a much smaller scale, I would imagine, too. Yes. Yes. And whereas the Abbey beers are brewed by secular breweries, um, but under the direction of the monks or they're possibly on the monastery site, even if monks aren't living there anymore, or with reference to the Abbey. Right. And they were once brewed by monks, I think, too. Right, Robert? You're usually using the the recipe that the monks have used but they had purchased out the the monks or the, the monastic order itself had just died out. Or, or I'm thinking maybe they're even still around and they have to pay some sort of royalty fee to, to the, the monks in order to brew that on a regular basis, which, was a, which would be a great income for a, a monastery. You don't have to do any of the work, but you still get a royalty check every now and then. How's your dunkel? It's nice. I'm enjoying the dunkel. Are you just like saying that a dunkel kind of day? <laughs> dunkel kind of day. That's, That's your I'm favorite not, line. I'm not allowed saying that. So it was great catching up last week with Father Matt, and I know he sent an email afterwards that he really enjoyed having the chat. And I have to wonder too if, like you were saying in our, our talk with Father Matt, he's living kind of in community. I think he said there, there's nine priests living down at the cathedral altogether, some that are tied to the cathedral, others that are kind of working at the chancery office. Right. But I think he misses that community feel of being in the parish a little bit. And he said that it was, uh, it was great just to, to catch up and to, to have a chat and, and share a beer. So, and yeah, I, know, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, it was it was it was great to see him. He hasn't changed at all. He still looks the same as he did when he was when he was in the seminary. But no, it was good to it's good to hear from him and good to see him again. And a busy job, busy job. I, I think so. I think so. I'm sure we all wish he was busier as vocations director, but mm-hmm. I'm, still, he's, I'm sure he's still quite busy. So we were blessed that he was able to take the time out to to sit down and chat with us. Yes, last week. One of the cool things I really like listening to was kind of his faith story and, and his upbringing, his Catholic mm-hmm. upbringing, the influence of the faith on his life as he grows up and how that's formed him into the priest that he is today. Mm-hmm. And that got me to thinking um, as I was sitting down listening uh, to our conversation over again, uh, as, as I was editing it and, and putting it together to kind of polish it up to to put out and make it a little bit more presentable. Uh, Not a whole lot of work needed for that. Father Matt's a a great guy. Uh, But it got me to thinking that as much as we've alluded to our Catholic childhoods a little bit, we haven't really shared a whole lot of our own faith story, our our own Catholic childhood memories as such. So I I I know I threw this out to you just only a couple of days ago, but kind of what are your fondest childhood Catholic memories? I, I think everything we, like, I, I just remember school. Obviously you went to Catholic elementary school like myself, Robert, but the, one of the biggest thing that stands out is when you went to mass on Sunday, you saw a lot of your classmates there. Really there, it was few, it was the few kids who didn't go to Sunday mass. 
And if I do remember Sunday mass, you know, going with my parents and my siblings, it was always crowded. Didn't matter what mass you went to, but it was always crowded. Now I was lucky we were in the Archdiocese of Toronto, but ours was run by the Franciscans, the two churches that we attended, just the closest ones to our house, whether it was a baptism or confirmation or just regular Sunday mass. I mean, the church was alive and it was crowded and it was a, it was pretty well 90% Italian. Italian Canadians were the predominant um, culture in our area at, uh, growing up in Toronto. I mean, oh, so that was nice. You, what you were know, the two parishes I, that you grew up attending? One was Immaculate Conception in Toronto Northwest, and the other one was uh, St. Charles Borromeo. And oh. they were both Franciscan, uh, Franciscan parishes. A lot of American Franciscans had come up to run those parishes. Okay. So I don't know. They obviously get the archdiocese gives those parishes to those orders to run, or how does that work? Do they just say, okay, we're not going to put any archdiocesan uh, priests in there? How does it, or are they there before the? I have no idea. I wonder how we should have asked Father Matt. I, 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 you know, I have no idea on that because there are a few churches around the archdiocese that are run by different orders. Yeah, there are quite a few. Yeah. Which, which is great for the archdiocese. I mean, they don't have to put the priest in there, I suppose, right? Well, one has to wonder, is it because there are not as many diocesan priests coming through mm -hmm. the seminary that it's needed to have these orders running the parishes or the parishes just wouldn't exist anymore? Right. Yeah. And just another thing with that, as I remember, a lot of guitars, a lot of guitars in the 70s, a lot of, I remember drums started to come into play. I remember a lot of that. You remember a lot of that music, Robert. You're not too far away from me. I, I was actually very, very, very blessed, I guess, in the parish that I grew up in. Maybe it was at the other mass that we weren't attending, but I don't remember a whole lot of liturgical guitar. And oh, you don't? Okay. So that had taken hold at that time. In, in those parishes. Now you grew up probably about 45 minutes north of the city. So it was almost, I don't want to say a country parish, but it was certainly more of a rural or a smaller town parish that you It, it was a suburban parish. Suburban. Yeah. More than suburban, really. Like now it would be suburban. 35 years ago it was almost, it was a little bit. The population of the town at that time was uh, 30, 35,000 people. 30, so 35,000. It wasn't. As country bumpkin as you want to make it out to be. No, I wouldn't say country bumpkin, but more like a small. Well, I guess I grew it, up. It was Spanish, very much so. a smaller community. Smaller kind of community, right? Uh, I, now it would just be a bedroom community because there's, yeah. you know, it's it shrunk the area between where you grew up in in Toronto Central now because of just. Uh, you know, the last 35 years development, right? Homes, suburbs, whatever. Well, but Definitely. So the, the, the parish or the, the town I grew up in, in Newmarket, um, and the parish St. John Chrysostom, now very much a, a bedroom community and grown to the point where there's actually two parishes within the town itself. So St. John Chrysostom, which was the only parish in town while I was growing up and coming mm -hmm. of age. And just as I was getting into young adulthood and leaving town, mm -hmm. uh, they built St. Elizabeth Seton on the other side of town. Oh, that's right. Yes, yes. But there was, yeah, maybe more of a, if you want to say, a small village community feel to the parish hmm. uh, in that if you didn't know everyone, you knew of everyone. And I, and I don't know if it was the same kind of feel within uh, the big city where you were at St. Charles yeah. Borromeo or uh, you, you, Conception. You, you tended to know a lot of uh 
like I, unlike you, who was a full time, I had a short stint as a, as an altar boy, did a couple of funerals, was amazed that you got a little bit of money. Hey, that's great. And then it kind of phased out. I remember father, you know, all these really good priests and stuff, but I wanted the priests. He's always had a smoke in his hand, you know, it was just <laughs> secondhand smoke. It was just, but really, really good men. But the, yeah, the only time you didn't see a smoke in his hand was when he was praying the mass at the altar, right? Yeah, that was, yeah. Obviously we don't, uh, we didn't have any of that, but you're right. There was a sense of community there, right? Everything was done through the church. Yeah. And like you were saying too, for myself as well, uh, I wasn't, in a Catholic elementary school all the way through, started in grade four, but really wow. was amazed when we started going that, you know, even if you didn't see all of your classmates at mass, if you went to another mass at another time, you saw the ones that you didn't normally see. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. And that the, the mass attendance was much, much higher percentage wise than it is today, especially from uh, within your classmates. I think part of that has to deal with that at that time, I mean, you were kind of at the tail end of where you had to pay for your Catholic high school. That's right. Yeah. Where I think I was the first year where we did not have to pay for Catholic high school. Mm. I think maybe because it was a semi-private school system that maybe had a lot to deal with it. Well, that-, that wouldn't have affected the elementary, right? Because as you know, elementary was always, uh, always free in the province. Well, I mean, for, for at least a very long time. But um, what you notice is that even with the priests and stuff, they were always, always at the schools. Like, it oh, was, yeah. you know, even, you know, I know they were doing confirmation and first communion, but they were just around a lot coming in, you know, chatting, just being seen um, coming and, to the schools. And I don't want to say that they had more time as mm. such, but I will say that there was more yeah. of them. And again, I'm just thinking of, uh, at St. John Chrysostom in Newmarket was the only parish in town. They only had two elementary schools, uh, whereas now in Newmarket itself, Catholic elementary schools, uh, there's easily half a dozen, if not more. See, yeah, so right. they're a lot so, busier, right? And the hospitals were, are much busy, bigger, so they're in the hospitals, you know. But at that time growing up where they were responsible, so there's two schools in Newmarket, there was another school in the town of Sharon just outside of Newmarket that they would have also been responsible mm-hmm. for. We had three priests in the parish. Yeah. So we, had, we had a pastor and we had two associate pastors. Yeah, so did we, yep. Right, whereas I mean, right now at St. John Chrysostom, I can tell you that they have two priests. There's the pastor and a newly ordained, a one-year ordained associate pastor. But before that, for the longest time, there was just the one guy. It was just the one priest, the one pastor. And he's then responsible for all of those different schools in the hospital. Wow. Like you say, and it's a big hospital. So again, it comes down to the the demands, I think are the same, maybe more just because the population is more. Right. But there was only the one guy as opposed to three. So like you say, they were always in the school because there was always one of them available to come to the school. That's right. That's right. With three of them, for sure. Yeah. And, and then for, for a while, we had semin- a seminarian that was in the parish. Okay. And then he was transitional deacon within our parish. Um, and then he became associate pastor in our parish, too. This is Pat McConvey. Uh, and he became a really good friend of mine. He actually married uh, Ellie and I. But yeah, no, I remember going to Mass and seeing classmates in that crowdedness and vibrant community. And I remember... For example, the, the pancake breakfasts afterwards yep. were always full. 
Yeah, any any sort of little social afterwards was was big, wasn't it? Because you got a chance to see your friends too, right after mass, and yeah, you know, with their families, which was kind of interesting as a kid to see yeah. that. And then another thing, as I grew older and started in high school as a young teenager, uh, the youth group at the school was also very very at the school. The youth group at the parish was also very very active. Once a month, there was a, a dance for the parish youth. Oh, okay. So we were there. I don't think parishes would touch that with a 10 foot pole now, just yeah, for insurance reasons. No, it's very difficult. And it wasn't just kids from the parish or kids from the high school. There were other kids from outside that, that would come to the, the parish dance and it was a safe place to hang out mm-hmm. and be with your friends, uh, see your friends in a social setting without your parents kind of hanging over your shoulder, but there was never any trouble either. Yeah, I don't know. I think that we missed the boat. I think that it ended a little bit maybe before my time in the city and maybe it was just phasing out in, you know, a little bit suburban areas. It still was a thing. And that could be, again, just the the difference in demographics right? uh, between and where you grew were growing up in the city and where I was. Back in the day. Just the change in the demographics. Then you were speaking about being an altar server. I was altar server for a number of years. At St. John Chrysostom Parish. I think I still remember uh, something. There was 48 pot lights in that church and 16 spotlights over the altar because, you know, wow. as, you're, as you're an altar server sitting up there, as kids are wont to do, your mind starts to wander and you're not necessarily as focused on the Mass as you should be. Right. You start counting pot lights. You start counting them. Now, you were probably, an, we were probably altar boy. We could probably say that, eh? I think we could say that back in the day. Yeah, back in the day, we were <laughs> now, altar boys. Now it's altar server, altar boy. I think I was kind of fired as an altar boy. You know, I just couldn't get up for these funerals. They were getting earlier and earlier. And I'm like, why does that not surprise me? And you know um, what? I think the great, I think I started because they needed people and they're like, okay, who wants to, you know, miss school? Miss school. That's that, great. That, that, that was, I was, hey. I was Sign me up. I was just going to say that was one of the perks of being an altar boy at the time is, you know, every once in a while, father would show up at the school and they would buzz into the classroom. You know, can Robert come down? He needs to go serve at the at a funeral mass. I'd be like, ah, oh, you know, as all of your, your buddies are sitting there for a math lesson or something and yeah. you're going out, you know, your arms raised like, you know, Rocky at the championship. Actually, you know what? And I funny. I think I think I remember seeing a few teachers on a regular basis at, at mass as well who lived in the area. And I think that's very very important. And that's one of the reasons why uh, it's important for us to go to the parish we're attending now because my wife teaches here in the same town, and we just know how important it is for those kids that are going to mass and those parents that are going to mass to see the Catholic school teachers yeah, there on Sundays. But yeah, no, I remember serving at funerals. Uh, Father would come pick us up in his car. So we'd be riding in the backseat of Father's Camaro on the way back to church. And then you you would stop at the corner store on the way back to school because you'd get a a little treat for serving at the mass. Like you said, the odd time, maybe you'd get five bucks uh, as a bonus. Yep, that's right. right. I just did the funerals and, and regular. I don't think I ever got the call up for weddings, but. No, <laughs> but you wouldn't see that happening today either. You wouldn't no. see the priest going over to the local school and picking up kids and driving. Absolutely not. Right? Again, nope. insurance purposes, right? After you know, 40 years and with all of the, the scandal that's gone on in the church, yep. uh, 
just those things just those cannot things don't happen. happen. No, you're right, Robert. Yeah, do not happen. They cannot, and unfortunately, it, it's because there were a number of priests who were not living out their priestly vocation properly, right, as they were they were called to do. Absolutely right. This yes or no question that I wanted to throw out there comes actually from a childhood Catholic memory of mine. Okay. And I, I remember I was, it was in grade seven and it was time for confirmation. We were preparing for confirmation and we had the neighbors over for dinner one night and we were talking about my confirmation and I guess the neighbors were invited to come to my confirmation. They weren't Catholic I don't think they were anything. They were nominally Christian as part of, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. kind of being in the Toronto area at the time, which was more predominantly Christian, uh, not necessarily always Catholic. They weren't churchgoers. Okay. And I remember the mom looking at me and she went, you know, I'll come to your confirmation and I'll come into the Catholic church. But unless you see me walk in with my pillow, don't expect me to be doing the stand up, sit down and kneeling. Because if mm-hmm. I don't have my pillow, I won't be kneeling for you. Right? As a 12 year old kid, you're like, what do I say to that? He's <laughs> like, oh, okay, you know, and, I, and then I'm having visions of the neighbor actually showing up with the pillow off her. Off yeah. her it's like, don't bother coming. Like if you're going to make such a big deal. And so did she come? So they did come. No pillow. No pillow. Um, Again, I was sitting in the front row, so I have no clue if she did the stand-up, sit-down. Okay, stand-up, sit-down. Yeah, it does confuse a few people along the way. I like to call it Catholic calisthenics. Catholic calisthenics, yes, I heard of that. Um, So I really don't know if she did all of that or not, and it's so long ago, I doubt my mom even remembers that this neighbor was there, um, right? whether or not she was even kneeling. But I wanted to ask you the question, and I know we've discussed it on our own kind of outside of the podcast from time to time, you know, is using kneelers or using padded kneelers. And the reason why I asked this is because it's been over a year, I think, since I've used a kneeler at church. Wow. I'll just, I'll just kneel on the floor, but that's a personal choice. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not anything that's listed in rubrics anywhere that you're not supposed to have a kneeler. Uh, I, for me, it's a, a personal choice of penance. Uh, yeah. I'm using a kneeler, but I'm feeling guilty because as funny, you should, you should have this question, Robert, because we just got installed new pads on the kneelers. And boy, they are the most lush red. They must be about six inches. I'm not joking. They must be about six inches thick. And I'm, I'm kneeling on them thinking... This is comfortable, very too comfortable, like you say. Before that, they were okay. The one time I did, funny you should mention, I can't remember, it's either an old church church in Toronto, it was in either Australia or Ireland, but it was a kneeler, and all it had going across it was just a thin little, almost like a carpet had been tacked on to that kneeler. It wasn't, it definitely wasn't any pad or... um, It was just a piece of dollar store felt? Um. It was the thinnest little, like it was like a remnant of a carpet attached to all the, and I knelt and I'm like, okay, at least they've got some kneeler here, but there's a sense of, okay, you're not supposed to be too comfortable kneeling. This is a very important part of the mass when you're kneeling and don't get too comfortable. 
was the kind of a, and I really remembered those kneelers. And I, I think I'd been to mass a few times at that particular church. Can't remember. I think it was a church in Australia, but I didn't mind that. And now with these new installations of these uh, padded kneelers, oh boy, they're so comfortable. So I don't know. Do I'm getting old. So I'm going (laughs) to go with padded kneelers. I'm going to go with yes. Yeah. Give me my padded kneelers. As you were sharing that. If it was like the other way, I'd still kneel. No problem. I don't think I'd go as far as yourself to kneel, not on a kneeler anymore. Unless of course that was the only option. And then- well, I have to tell you, again, as I'm getting older, it's getting more and more difficult to get up and down, especially right. kneeling direct, directly on the floor. As you were sharing that story about... And of course, you have to be on the end. So if yeah. you get into a fight with a little old lady who wants that corner spot, see, now you're one of the parishioners that makes me go in to the parishioner that you you, you won't move ahead. So I need to kind of, you know, you need to jump climb over, over. You need to climb foot. over me. Yeah, yeah, which is a whole other story. You for your wallet as you're going people by. People right got now. their certain spots at church that can't be moved, which I think it should be a free for all. But if you get there early, you get there early, I guess. You don't have a brass plate with your name on your pew, buddy? No, I wouldn't. The old days, they used to have those eh? in some of the churches, not Catholic ones, but certainly some of them. Yeah. And you're, you're saying that I know, and I think we've discussed about this before on the podcast too, with registering for mass. And when I broached that subject with my pastor, his comment, oh, I have to register. Thanks for reminding me. Go on. <laughs> his his comment was, he made me laugh. His comment was, you know, Catholics are creatures of habit that we usually not only always go to the same mass time each and every week, but that we usually also sit in the same pew each and every week. But as you were sharing the story about the kneelers with the, the small piece of carpet on it, yeah, you were bringing back memories. Again, I can remember, don't ask me when or where it was, but I can remember uh, just plain wooden kneelers. And these plain wooden kneelers were so old that it was almost like a groove had been worn into the wood. Yeah, I can remember those too. I, I think uh, as a youngster and in certain old parishes in Toronto, they still had those going. Absolutely, Robert. That, that doesn't. That definitely rings a bell. And like you said too, that that notion of humility, we should not be comfortable in that. No. And you know what? They're not making you kneel right on the concrete. They're not asking you to do that or the tile. They're at least giving you a place to kneel. And and saying that, uh, in our last parish, we were a few years. Mass was in the school gym because we had. Mm-hmm when we first got to the parish, the parish church was actually a small portable classroom. And then as the parish grew, we outgrew that, but we didn't have the funds to build yet. Mass was in the school gym. And so one of the fundraisers that someone came up with is they got squares of foam or rectangles of foam, and they just covered them in dollar store material. Yeah. They would rent those out. I think it was $5 a mass. You could rent out, a little foam pad for a kneeler on the, on the school gym floor. And they even had a little slogan over, over top of it. uh, As you came in um, your knees, our needs, right? Your knees, our needs. Hmm. I could totally see that. And it it was a neat little fundraiser. That is kind of a fundraiser. But no, for, for me, like I say, it's a personal choice. Uh, It's definitely an act of, of penance that I have chosen to do and I've gotten used to it, but yeah, there are some weeks where it's a lot harder 
to get up after kneeling on the floor. Yeah. Um, now I was just wondering about, you know, latecomers and stuff, which we have a few of, but that wouldn't really bother you because you won't be kneeling until the second, you know, the last third of mass. Right. So that doesn't really people leaving after communion or people coming back uh, from communion. How does that, that must affect I, 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 I get out of the way. Okay. I don't, just, I don't stay. I, I make sure that I'm in a space where people are not going to have to step. Oh, up. so you must have wide aisles because our side aisles at our parish are pretty small. So that would kind of be in the way as people came back up. Yours, yours must be much wider. They're, they're quite a bit wider or okay. we'll try to be in a spot where I can then move over right beside the wall and then there's right. room for them to walk between the wall myself and then the pew. Okay. Okay. Right. So I, 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 I try to be out of the way. Right. Yeah. yeah. You don't want to trip anybody along the way. So Dennis, as always, the time seems to have flown by. Yeah. I can't believe that. We just seems like we just started this conversation, but as always, uh, Robert, it's been a pleasure, both the pint and the conversation. I think especially the pint, but the conversation's always good. And it's always a pleasure to talk about our faith and talk about the, the beers this week and bits of our memories from childhood. Yeah, so, no, very true, very true. Uh, and our old flame brunette, Munkel Dunkels, uh, went down really nice in the conversation. Yeah, our childhood memories. It was just neat to hear that a little bit about each other. It's all but gone just, now. Yep, the, the Dunkel's gone. The Dunkel is gone along with our childhood, but at least not our hair. Right. Well, you know what? Funny you should say that just quickly before we wrap up. I went to the barber and she put the mirror behind the thing. And then she put the mirror on the top. And I'm like, what? I could see a little bit of skin on the top there. I could never see that before. So that, that's something to keep an eye on over the next few haircuts. Go yeah, on. There we go. Um, I wanted to say you were you were looking good. I think after mass, that was the, the next thing we were looking forward to the most opening up was the, the, the barber shops and getting barber shops. Yes. And we both got cuts. Yes. So just as we're wrapping up, perhaps we, there's one quick favor we could ask of our listeners. Yeah, if you could just take a quick moment and a couple of uh, clicks to follow the Pints and Pews podcast on your favorite platform and give us a review. And while you're at it, give us a like on Facebook and drop us a line. Hopefully we'll chat again next week. God willing. And remember, until then, the wise words of G.K. Chesterton. In Catholicism, the pint, the pipe, and the cross can all fit together. God bless.